Mending straight across the continental United States from San Francisco to Teaneck, New Jersey, is the vast Interstate 80, also simply called I-80. Constructed between the years of 1956 to 1986 and sprawled out over 2,902 miles of historic travel routes, I-80 is one of the most ambitious highway projects ever attempted in this country. It is also perhaps one of the most vital, an artery through the country along which countless travelers and truckers surge day in and day out. One portion of this major road cuts through the northern part of the state of Nevada. And this expanse cuts through some of the most unforgiving and lifeless wasteland in the United States, with long stretches populated by little more than desert scrub and tumbleweeds. Here, one can travel hundreds of miles without seeing any sign of human life. And at night, it turns into a black expanse of oblivion, which has earned this particular stretch of highway the nickname the Big Lonely. It is here along this swath of barren badlands that an untold number of hapless travelers have made their last journeys, vanishing off the faces of the earth in one of the most bleakest places in the country. Tonight, we dive into some of these weird cases. Some of these cases will take place on are around the Big Lonely. If this is your first time here, I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained. And this is episode 16 of Not Another Horror Podcast. September 21st, 1978. 73-year-old Nan Dixon left her home in Grass Valley, California to embark on a three-hour drive to Seven Trials, Nevada to visit her brother and his family in 1961. Nan had invested $6,000 into her brother's gold mining operation, but had gotten cold feet and wanted out, so... She was making the journey out there across I-80 to get her money back. She would never arrive, unfortunately, and no one would ever see Nan again. The only clue as to her whereabouts was a credit card bill for $4.18 in gas, which had been purchased at a Texaco gas station in Lovelock, Nevada but a thorough search of the rather remote area turned up no sign of the missing woman. For years, 
There was no clue of what had became of Nan until 1982, when some hunters stumbled across Nan's yellowish-green four-door 1976 Datsun B210 abandoned in a desert ravine near the Seven Trials turnoff, with half a tank of gas still in it. The car was found in a place that had been previously extensively searched, and it seemed as if it had been intentionally driven off the highway, perhaps in an attempt to hide it. Other eerie clues were found within the vehicle itself. There were discovered four cartons of empty cigarettes, which was strange since although Nan was a smoker, these were not her usual brand and no one could ever figure out how the woman could have smoked so many on a three-hour drive. Also found within the car were some pieces of black electrical tape with hair attached to them, as well as what appeared to be blood stains on the trunk mat as well as on the tire rim. A note was found scrawled on a crumpled piece of paper that seemed to hint at suicide, but no one knew for sure and it was all mostly illegible, except for a portion which supposedly read, Keeps telling me to use my gun and end my nightmare, but this I'll never do, for God gives life. Only God can take life. Committing suicide is the unpardonable sin that I will never commit. What could this possibly mean, if anything? Was it suicide note or just mindless ranting? No one knows. Although this looked like a suicide or a murder, Nan's body was nowhere to be found. The case went completely cold and was classified as either a suicide or foul play. Although, no further evidence was turned up and family and friends denied that Nan had been suicidal. Some have said that she was probably killed by a serial killer or that she had stumbled across a drug drop and been silenced. And then, her car later dumped in the location where it was found. Another possibility is that she accidentally crashed her car and then walked off into the wilderness to get help. After which, she had gotten lost and died and out in that harsh desert. But without a body, it is difficult to say for sure. Unfortunately, since the vehicle was later sold at an auction and most of the evidence lost, and because Nan's body has never been found... There seems to be very little chance we will ever know for sure. And Nan Dixon's mysterious disappearance remains unsolved. February 14th, 2006. Valentine's Day. Judith Casita wrote a note for her husband, expressing her unhappiness with her marriage, telling him she was leaving him, and then hit the road in her white 1991 Mazda pickup truck. No one knows where exactly she was headed. It has been speculated that she was perhaps on her way to visit family in Oregon. Regardless of what her intended final destination was, 
Judith was spotted at a McDonald's in Lovelock, Nevada. And this is the last time anyone would ever see her again. A few weeks later, in March of 2006, Judith's truck was found abandoned on a rugged strip of dirt road off the rural, isolated Pumpernickel Valley Exit 205 along I-80, near the small town of Winnemeca. The truck was in perfect working order, was found to not be stuck or crippled in any way, and it also was shown to have a full tank of gas. There was no sign of a struggle or any sort of foul play, and a single set of footprints were found to lead away towards the nearby I-80. It was baffling because her truck was in good working condition and had a full tank of gas. So there was no reason for her to need to hitchhike or to have even stopped at all. Why did she get out of her truck and head to the highway in this rough, remote area? No one knows. And Judith Casita hasn't been seen or heard from since. It is interesting to note that Casita was last seen in Lovelock, which is where the last gasoline purchase had been made by Nan Dixon decades earlier. Eerily, another mysterious vanishing would happen in this exact same area in 2011. April 13th, 2011. 86-year-old World War II veteran Patrick Carnes was driving along I-80 on his way back to his home in Reno, Nevada, after visiting family in Ohio. And along for the ride was his dog, Lucky, his 100-pound Akita mixed breed. At approximately 9 p.m. that evening, Patrick was pulled over going westbound on I-80 near the town of Wells, Nevada, after failing to change lanes. When he passed the officer's parked cruiser, which had been stopped in order to pull over a big rig truck and trailer, it soon became apparent that Patrick had actually been following the big rig for some reason, which he would explain to the officer like this. I'll never drive at night again. I'm only following him because he's going to Elko. It was very cryptic. But the officer let Corns off with a warning, and the elderly man continued into the inky blackness of the desert night. Although the highway patrol officer could not have possibly known it at the time, this would be the last time Patrick Corns or his dog would ever be seen. You see, around nine hours later, Patrick's green Subaru station wagon was spotted 150 miles away at Pumpernickel Valley Exit 205 near Winnemeca. Oddly enough, the car had plenty of gas, was in good condition, and there were no signs of foul play of any kind to be found. Yet the man and his dog were gone. 
Besides the absence of Carnes and his dog, there were already some oddities with his state of the vehicle. It was noticed that the car was sitting on the south side of the highway, but since he had been traveling west, it should have been on the north side, meaning that Carnes had changed course for some unknown reason, which was odd considering there was a map in the vehicle that had stop-off points for the journey clearly marked down, all heading west and none of which included exit 205. A massive land and air search was launched of the surrounding desert terrain, and ground-penetrating radar was even used to examine the many abandoned mines that dot the area. But no trace of the man nor his dog was found, not even footprints. It did not go unnoticed by police that the case bore a striking similarity to the disappearance of Judith Casita five years earlier, whose vehicle had been found in more or less the same spot in which had also been in perfect working order with no signs of struggle. And it was thought that there were perhaps some link between the two. Although there was no evidence to directly link the two together, it was nevertheless seen as an eyebrow-raising coincidence. And there was speculation that both could have fallen victim to a serial killer or killers. One of the first clues investigated was the big truck that Corrins had been following on the night he was pulled over. As it was considered that the driver could have been a person of interest in the disappearance, dash cam footage of the truck was analyzed frame by frame, and the only possible useful clue found was a logo upon the trailer, but it was too blurry to make out. Other than this, there's nothing to go on at all. And although hundreds of tips, leads have poured in over the years, none of these have led anywhere. And there has never been any contact from the trucker seen in the dashcam footage. Patrick's desperate family and frustrated law enforcement have even turned to psychics and remote viewers. If you don't know what a remote viewer is, it is a psychic that possesses the ability to transport themselves to a place without physically being there. But none of those people have been able to divine much about the strange vanishing. Although one psychic said they believed that Corns had been abducted by two foreigners, neither Patrick Corns nor his dog Lucky have ever been seen again. May 8th 2011 Joseph Michael Bushling Bushling, a soldier, was assigned to Fort Collins, Colorado and stationed at the Army base in Dugway, Utah in May 2011. He left the English village area in the morning on May 8th and drove out into the desert in a borrowed black 2001 Mitsubishi Lancer. At 7 o'clock p.m., he called a friend in Duckway and left a message saying he'd run out of gas and was going to try to walk back to the Duckway Proving Ground. He said he was very cold. He lost his flip-flops and was using his shirt as footwear. It was raining and he needed help. This was the last contact with him 
He never arrived back in Duckway and has never been heard from again. Six days later, Flushing's vehicle was found abandoned in a deep ravine of a gravel road in a very isolated area 64 miles from Dugway's main gate. Some of Bushing's belongings were inside the vehicle, but there weren't any clues to indicate his whereabouts. The keys were missing. Two days later, Bushling's Arkansas Razorback hat was located in the desert six miles from the car. Searchers also found his flip-flops. The terrain where he disappeared is rough and desolate. With lots of caves and cellular phone reception, his pores are non-existent. Dugway had once served as a chemical weapons testing facility and there are caches of munitions concealed in the desert around the base. Bushling was born and raised in California and moved with his family to Russellville, Arkansas in 2000. His parents still live there. After his disappearance, the army automatically classified him as a deserter. Although his supervisor did not believe he had actually deserted, his family doesn't think he left on his own accord. They stated he was happy in the army and close to his parents. He had no history of mental illness and nothing was missing from his room. Bushling enlisted about two and a half years prior to the disappearance and had been deployed in South Korea. He had struggled following a divorce and his younger brother's suicide, but he was looking forward to a reassignment to San Antonio, Texas and hoped to become a nurse. Unfortunately, that would never happen. He has not been seen since. Now, if some of those cases weren't eerie enough for you, I was able to get some stories from some YouTubers. I asked these people if I could use their story in this episode, and I told them to email them to me. Two responded, and they're both very eerie. A couple of years ago, we pulled over there to MacGyver duct tape a noisy windshield and were approached by some man from out of the darkness. He asked from a distance if we needed help, and without giving it a second thought, I politely declined. My wife was freaking out, but I didn't give it much thought at the time. I had my 38 as I always do when I travel, so maybe that subconsciously gave me a sense of security. However, as we continued our drive, I realized we were truly in the middle of nowhere and wondered what he was doing out there, where he had came from, and where was he going. When we got home, I googled Pumpernickel Valley and discovered the peculiar history of that area. Kind of creeped me out. Thanks, Christopher. And I have one more from Pearl City. When I moved to Salt Lake City from San Francisco in 1988, something odd happened to me about 15 miles outside of Winnemaker. I pulled off the freeway at some exit so I could get to some cheese and crackers I had in a cooler in the back seat. The only other vehicle there is a big truck, but the motor was not running and I figured the driver was sleeping. 
I parked quite a few ways away from it. I got the food and got back in the driver's seat, which took about two minutes. By the time I got back in the car and looked up, I saw a man and a woman walking towards me, but they were both swinging their arms from side to side slowly, as if they were imitating chimpanzees or something. They were laughing a very weird laugh. So they creeped me out so much that I started the car and took off. I decided to stop in Winnemeca for the night, even though it was still early. I just didn't want to be on the road with those two at night. I kept looking in the rearview mirror and luckily did not see them following me to Winnemeca. It snowed that night. That was October 1988. Now... The cases that I've given you so far are some of the most notable ones. But there are hundreds on top of hundreds of Jane and John Doe's nestled in that desert area. I'm going to read to you a few. In 1978, the body of an unidentified woman between the ages of 40 and 50 was found near Emily. The body was found in a duffel bag which was placed in a shallow grave approximately 40 feet from Scosa Road, which is accessible via I-80. The woman had about $200 in cash on her which immediately told authorities that she wasn't killed in a robbery. Her identity and the persons responsible for her death have never been figured out. Her cause of death is unknown, but the disposal of her body definitely indicates a homicide. In 1974, the body of an unidentified woman was found just north of I-80 in Wells on Old Highway 93. The woman had been strangled to death and set on fire with diesel fuel. She's never been identified. In 1984, the body of a male estimated to be between 35 and 45 years old was found near Clark, Nevada off I-80. Undetermined cause of death, but his bones were charred, indicating he was dead prior to a fire that had been started. This could indicate homicide or at least attempted concealment of a death. No identification. In February of 1990, the body of an unidentified Jane Doe was found near I-80, near Hilltop Road in Lander County. She may have been upwards of 38 years old and had been dismembered. Several body parts, including the bones of her torso, were never found. In 1990, the mummified body of an elderly woman was found lying in sagebrush near I-80 in Wendover, undetermined cause of death. In 1993, the body of an unidentified female was found near Interstate 80 in the Shafter area, Elko County. The woman was presumed to have been dumped just a few days before she was discovered and had died by multiple gunshot wounds to the body. She had also been badly beaten. She looked to be between 25 and 30 years old. Her identity has never been figured out. 
nor has the identity of the person responsible for her death. The body of a missing Utah man was found by railroad tracks in what used to be called Tobar, an old railroad outpost that is near Wells. To get to Tobar, you must veer off I-80 onto Old Highway 93. Tobar is literally a ghost town out in the middle of nowhere. The skeletal remains of a young man named Robin Putno were found there in July 2012. His cause of death is not known and is certainly not known how he may have gotten where his remains were found. July 14, 1972 Star Valley Jane Doe was a woman whose remains were found in Nevada. A rancher found the victim's decomposed body in rural Elko County. A half mile west of Star Valley Road, the area is about eight miles south of I-80. The victim's body was nude and had been posed in a cross-like manner. She had been shot by a 22 caliber handgun in the neck and left cheek. A dark blue Volkswagen Beetle with Tennessee plates was seen in the area around July 7th. It was believed to be reported stolen from Tennessee, but was not recovered. Now here we are at our last story. The reason I put this story last is because it actually doesn't happen on I-80. Instead, it takes place nearly 300 miles south in Death Valley. Death Valley is its own monster. As the hottest, driest, and lowest national park. Death Valley is a land of extremes. In July 2018, the hottest place on earth experienced its hottest month on record. The average temperature was 108.1 Fahrenheit or 42.3 Celsius to everyone outside of America, including overnight lows. Daytime highs reached a temperature of 127 degrees Fahrenheit or 52.8 Celsius for four days in a row. Weird things happen there. Did you know some of the rocks move on their own in a Death Valley? Hundreds of rocks that leave trails on the ground when they move. Some of the rocks, which weigh up to 700 pounds, have traveled over 1,500 feet for years. The source of their movement have remained a mystery. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want to convey to you the monster a person stranded would have to face. Let's get into this case of Ryan Singleton. Ryan Singleton wanted to be a star. When he was 21, he left his mother's Georgia home to pursue his dream of becoming a model in New York City. Things appeared to be going his way. He even landed a spot on the runway during New York's Fashion Week. After that, Ryan set his sights on Hollywood. He and some friends packed their stuff into a U-Haul truck 
and drove west to Los Angeles. They documented their journey along the way for a YouTube docuseries called Are We Famous Yet? After some time, Ryan left LA and moved back to New York. His mother said, I found out on social media Ryan had gotten married to a man twice his age. I don't even know who this is. I don't even have a clue as to what's going on. It was a total shock. That man, a celebrity stylist, Kyth Brewster. Keep that in mind. It's going to be very important later. Four months after marrying, the couple split and Ryan moved back to his mother's home in Georgia. His mother recalls an ominous conversation she had with her son after he moved back. Something bad is going to happen to me, isn't it, Mama? She asked her son if he owed someone some money, and he said no. And then he said, I've just done a lot of things to hurt a lot of people. His mother said she never found out exactly what Ryan was talking about. Two days later, Ryan abruptly left for Los Angeles again. This was the last time Iris saw her son alive. On the day Ryan went missing, his mother said he called her and asked her to send him $100 via Western Union to Nevada. Something odd happened after that. His mom said she also got a call from Ryan's estranged husband not long after she hung up told her that Ryan called him and it seemed like he had been drinking. She said he told her that Ryan's life could be in danger and she informed him of where Ryan was going even though Ryan told her not to tell anyone where he was. Now here's where things get even stranger. Singleton rented a car and drove from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. While driving back, the rental car broke down in Death Valley. Singleton was spotted by a California Highway Patrol walking down the highway. He was picked up and driven to a gas station in Baker, California. That gas station is the last place anyone would see Ryan alive. Ryan called a friend in Los Angeles to come pick him up. But when the friend arrived in Baker, Ryan was nowhere to be found. The friend returned to Los Angeles and filed a missing persons report. Now, 74 days later, Ryan's body was found about two miles from that very gas station. And the scariest part, his organs were missing. Now disclaimer, the next part might be a little bit hard to listen to. The autopsy was conducted by the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Coroner Division in September 2013. According to the autopsy, two men were walking in the desert west of Baker, California on September 21, 2013. When they found what appeared to be human remains, they called 911. When the body was examined by deputy coroner on September 22, 2013, it was clothed in a black shirt, faded black high-top court shoes, black socks, 
and an orange rubber bracelet with Tri-Camp 2013 etched on the right wrist. No trauma was noted by the coroner, but he did note several bones appeared to have been removed from the body by animal activity. Most of the ribs on the left side had been moved away. The autopsy reports notes that when Singleton was last seen by the highway patrolman, he did not appear to be under any kind of influence of drugs or alcohol. The body weighed 50 pounds when examined by the coroner. It was nearly completely skeletonized. This report makes several references to missing flesh due to animal activity. The face appeared very dehydrated. The reports list a possible hemorrhage on the right side of the skull. The cause of death is listed as undetermined to advance decomposition. The manner of death is listed as undetermined. What happened to Ryan after he was dropped off at that gas station? A large part of that conversation centers around the mystery of Ryan's missing organs. Some have speculated that Ryan passed away in the desert and the organs may have been taken by animals. But other theories are more sinister. Some going so far as to suggest his organs were deliberately taken and sold on the black market. In a May 2007 interview with Eleven Alive, Iris Flowers, his mother, said she felt her son was taken for illegal organ trafficking. We may never know what truly happened to Ryan. Ironically, in death, Ryan has found some of the notoriety he sought when he was alive. That's all the time we have this week, and I truly hope you enjoyed our little trip through the desert. If you like the show, remember you can always rate it on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And if you want to keep up with us, you can always follow us on Instagram or Twitter. The URLs are in the show notes. Stay safe, stay sane, and make sure you don't stop on I-80. Mending straight across the continental United States from San Francisco to Teaneck, New Jersey, is the vast Interstate 80, also simply called I 80. Constructed between the years of 1956 to 1986 and sprawled out over 2,902 miles of historic travel routes, I 80 is one of the most ambitious highway projects ever attempted in this country. It is also perhaps one of the most vital, an artery through the country along which countless travelers and truckers surge day in and day out. One portion of this major road cuts through the northern part 
by the state of Nevada. And this expanse cuts through some of the most unforgiving and lifeless wasteland in the United States, with long stretches populated by little more than desert scrub and tumbleweeds. Here, one can travel hundreds of miles without seeing any sign of human life. And at night, it turns into a black expanse of oblivion, which has earned this particular stretch of highway the nickname, The Big Lonely. It is here along this swath of barren badlands that an untold number of hapless travelers have made their last journeys, vanishing off the face of the earth in one of the most bleakest places in the country. Tonight, we dive into some of these weird cases. Some of these cases will take place on or around the Big Lonely. If this is your first time here, I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained. And this is episode 16 of Not Another Horror Podcast. September 21st, 1978. 73-year-old Nan Dixon left her home in Grass Valley, California to embark on a three-hour drive to Seven Trials, Nevada to visit her brother and his family in 1961. Nan had invested $6,000 into her brother's gold mining operation, but had gotten cold feet and wanted out, so... She was making the journey out there across I-80 to get her money back. She would never arrive, unfortunately, and no one would ever see Nan again. The only clue as her whereabouts was a credit card bill for $4.18 in gas, which had been purchased at a Texaco gas station in Lovelock, Nevada. But a thorough search of the rather remote area turned up no sign of the missing woman. For years, there was no clue of what had became of Nan until 1982, when some hunters stumbled across Nan's yellowish-green four-door 1976 Datsun B210 abandoned in a desert ravine near the Seven Trials turnoff, with half a tank of gas still in it. The car was found in a place that had been previously extensively searched, and it seemed as if it had been intentionally driven off the highway, perhaps in an attempt to hide it. Other eerie clues were found within the vehicle itself. There were discovered four cartons of empty cigarettes, which was strange since although Nan was a smoker, these were not her usual brand, and no one could ever figure out how the woman could have smoked so many on a three-hour drive. 
Also found within the car were some pieces of black electrical tape with hair attached to them, as well as what appeared to be blood stains on the trunk mat, as well as on the tire rim. A note was found scrawled on a crumpled piece of paper that seemed to hint at suicide, but no one knew for sure and it was all mostly illegible, except for a portion which supposedly read, Keeps telling me to use my gun and end my nightmare, but this I'll never do, for God gives life, only God can take life. Committing suicide is the unpardonable sin that I will never commit. What could this possibly mean, if anything? Was it suicide note or just mindless ranting? No one knows. Although this looked like a suicide or a murder, Nan's body was nowhere to be found. The case went completely cold and was classified as either a suicide or foul play. Although no further evidence was turned up and family and friends denied that Nan had been suicidal. Some have said that she was probably killed by a serial killer or that she had stumbled across a drug drop and been silenced. And then, her car later dumped in the location where it was found. Another possibility is that she accidentally crashed her car and then walked off into the wilderness to get help. After which, she had gotten lost and died and out in that harsh desert. But without a body, it is difficult to say for sure. Unfortunately, since the vehicle was later sold at an auction and most of the evidence lost, and because Nan's body has never been found, there seems to be very little chance we will ever know for sure. And Nan Dixon's mysterious disappearance remains unsolved. February 14th, 2006, Valentine's Day. Judith Casita wrote a note for her husband, expressing her unhappiness with her marriage, telling him she was leaving him, and then hit the road in her white 1991 Mazda pickup truck. No one knows where exactly she was headed. It has been speculated that she was perhaps on her way to visit family in Oregon, Regardless of what her intended final destination was, Judith was spotted at a McDonald's in Lovelock, Nevada. And this is the last time anyone would ever see her again. A few weeks later, in March of 2006, Judith's truck was found abandoned on a rugged strip of dirt road off the rural, isolated, Pumpernickel Valley Exit 205 along I-80, near the small town of Winnemeca. The truck was in perfect working order, was found to not be stuck or crippled in any way, and it also was shown to have a full tank of gas. There was no sign of a struggle or any sort of foul play, 
and a single set of footprints were found to lead away towards the nearby I-80. It was baffling because her truck was in good working condition. It had a full tank of gas. So there was no reason for her to need to hitchhike or to have even stopped at all. Why did she get out of her truck and head to the highway in this rough, remote area? No one knows. And Judith Casita hasn't been seen or heard from since. It is interesting to note that Casita was last seen in Lovelock, which is where the last gasoline purchase had been made by Nan Dixon decades earlier. Eerily, another mysterious vanishing would happen in this exact same area in 2011. April 13th, 2011. 86-year-old World War II veteran Patrick Carnes was driving along I-80 on his way back to his home in Reno, Nevada, after visiting family in Ohio. And along for the ride was his dog, Lucky, his 100-pound Akita mixed breed. At approximately 9 p.m. that evening, Patrick was pulled over going westbound on I-80 near the town of Wells, Nevada, after failing to change lanes. When he passed the officer's parked cruiser, which had been stopped in order to pull over a big rig truck and trailer, it soon became apparent that Patrick had actually been following the big rig for some reason. But she would explain to the officer like this. I'll never drive at night again. I'm only following him because he's going to Elko. It was very cryptic. But the officer let Corns off with a warning, and the elderly man continued into the inky blackness of the desert night. Although the highway patrol officer could not have possibly known it at the time, this would be the last time Patrick Corns or his dog would ever be seen. You see, around nine hours later, Patrick's green Subaru station wagon was spotted 150 miles away at Pumpernickel Valley Exit 205 near Winnemeca. Oddly enough, the car had plenty of gas, was in good condition, and there were no signs of foul play of any kind to be found. Yet the man and his dog were gone. Besides the absence of Carnes and his dog, there were already some oddities with the state of the vehicle. It was noticed that the car was sitting on the south side of the highway, but since he had been traveling west, it should have been on the north side, meaning that Carnes had changed course for some unknown reason, which was odd considering there was a map in the vehicle that had stop-off points for the journey clearly marked down, all heading west and none of which included exit 205. A massive land and air search was launched of the surrounding desert terrain, and ground-penetrating radar was even used to examine the many abandoned mines that dot the area. 
but no trace of the man nor his dog was found, not even footprints. It did not go unnoticed by police that the case bore a striking similarity to the disappearance of Judith Casita five years earlier, whose vehicle had been found in more or less the same spot in which had also been in perfect working order with no signs of struggle. And it was thought that there were perhaps some link between the two, although there was no evidence to directly link the two together, it was nevertheless seen as an eyebrow-raising coincidence. And there was speculation that both could have fallen victim to a serial killer or killers. One of the first clues investigated was the big truck that Corrance had been following on the night he was pulled over. As it was considered that the driver could have been a person of interest in the disappearance, dash cam footage of the truck was analyzed frame by frame, and the only possible useful clue found was a logo upon the trailer, but it was too blurry to make out. Other than this, there's nothing to go on at all, and although hundreds of tips, leads have poured in over the years, none of these have led anywhere. And there has never been any contact from the trucker seen in the dashcam footage. Patrick's desperate family and frustrated law enforcement have even turned to psychics and remote viewers. If you don't know what a remote viewer is, it is a psychic that possesses the ability to transport themselves to a place without physically being there. But none of those people have been able to divine much about the strange vanishing. Although one psychic said they believed that Corns had been abducted by two foreigners, neither Patrick Corns nor his dog Lucky have ever been seen again. May 8th, 2011 Joseph Michael Bushling. Bushling, a soldier, was assigned to Fort Collins, Colorado, and stationed at the Army base in Dugway, Utah, in May 2011. He left the English village area in the morning on May 8th and drove out into the desert in a borrowed black 2001 Mitsubishi Lancer. At 7 o'clock p.m., he called a friend in Dugway and left a message saying, He'd run out of gas and was going to try to walk back to the Dugway Proving Ground. He said he was very cold. He lost his flip-flops and was using his shirt as footwear. It was raining and he needed help. This was the last contact with him. He never arrived back in Dugway and has never been heard from again. Six days later, Bushing's vehicle was found abandoned in a deep ravine of a gravel road in a very isolated area 64 miles from Dugway's main gate. Some of Bushling's belongings were inside the vehicle, but there weren't any clues to indicate his whereabouts. The keys were missing. Two days later, Bushling's Arkansas Razorback hat was located in the desert six miles from the car. Searchers also found his flip-flops. The terrain where he disappeared is rough and desolate. With lots of caves and cellular phone reception, his pores are non-existent. Dugway had once served as a chemical weapons testing facility and there are 
caches of munitions concealed in the desert around the base. Bushling was born and raised in California and moved with his family to Russellville, Arkansas in 2000. His parents still live there. After his disappearance, the army automatically classified him as a deserter. Although his supervisor did not believe he had actually deserted, his family doesn't think he left on his own accord. They stated he was happy in the army and close to his parents. He had no history of mental illness and nothing was missing from his room. Bushling enlisted about two and a half years prior to the disappearance and had been deployed in South Korea. He had struggled following a divorce and his younger brother's suicide, but he was looking forward to a reassignment to San Antonio, Texas and hoped to become a nurse. Unfortunately, that would never happen. He has not been seen since. Now, if some of those cases weren't eerie enough for you, I was able to get some stories from some YouTubers. I asked these people if I could use their story in this episode, and I told them to email them to me. Two responded, and they're both very eerie. A couple of years ago, we pulled over there to MacGyver duct tape a noisy windshield and were approached by some man from out of the darkness. He asked from a distance if we needed help, and without giving it a second thought, I politely declined. My wife was freaking out, but I didn't give it much thought at the time. I had my 38 as I always do when I travel, so maybe that subconsciously gave me a sense of security. However, as we continued our drive, I realized we were truly in the middle of nowhere and wondered what he was doing out there, where he had came from, and where was he going. When we got home, I googled Pumpernickel Valley and discovered the peculiar history of that area. Kind of creeped me out. Thanks, Christopher. And I have one more from Pearl City. When I moved to Salt Lake City from San Francisco in 1988, something odd happened to me about 15 miles outside of Winnemaker. I pulled off the freeway at some exit so I could get to some cheese and crackers I had in a cooler in the back seat. The only other vehicle there is a big truck, but the motor was not running and I figured the driver was sleeping. I parked quite a few ways away from it. I got the food and got back in the driver's seat, which took about two minutes. By the time I got back in the car and looked up, I saw a man and a woman walking towards me, but they were both swinging their arms from side to side slowly, as if they were imitating chimpanzees or something. They were laughing, a very weird laugh. So they creeped me out so much that I started the car and took off. I decided to stop in Winnemaker for the night, even though it was still early. I just didn't want to be on the road with those two at night. I kept looking in the rearview mirror and luckily did not see them following me to Winnemaker. It snowed that night, 
That was October 1988. Now, the cases that I've given you so far are some of the most notable ones. But there are hundreds on top of hundreds of Jane and John Doe's nestled in that desert area. I'm going to read to you a few. In 1978, the body of an unidentified woman between the ages of 40 and 50 was found near Emily. The body was found in a duffel bag which was placed in a shallow grave approximately 40 feet from Scosa Road, which is accessible via I-80. The woman had about $200 in cash on her which immediately told authorities that she wasn't killed in a robbery. Her identity and the persons responsible for her death have never been figured out. Her cause of death is unknown, but the disposal of her body definitely indicates a homicide. In 1974, the body of an unidentified woman was found just north of I-80 in Wells on Old Highway 93. The woman had been strangled to death and set on fire with diesel fuel. She's never been identified. In 1984, the body of a male estimated to be between 35 and 45 years old was found near Clark, Nevada off I-80. Undetermined cause of death, but his bones were charred, indicating he was dead prior to a fire that had been started. This could indicate homicide or at least attempted concealment of a death. No identification. In February of 1990, the body of an unidentified Jane Doe was found near I-80, near Hilltop Road in Lander County. She may have been upwards of 38 years old and had been dismembered. Several body parts, including the bones of her torso, were never found. In 1990, the mummified body of an elderly woman was found lying in sagebrush near I-80 in Wendover, undetermined cause of death. In 1993, the body of an unidentified female was found near Interstate 80 in the Shafter area, Elko County. The woman was presumed to have been dumped just a few days before she was discovered and had died by multiple gunshot wounds to the body. She had also been badly beaten. She looked to be between 25 and 30 years old. Her identity has never been figured out, nor has the identity of the person responsible for her death. The body of a missing Utah man was found by railroad tracks in what used to be called Tobar, an old railroad outpost that is near Wells. To get to Tobar, you must veer off at I-80 onto Old Highway 93. Tobar is literally a ghost town out in the middle of nowhere. The skeletal remains of a young man named Robin Putno were found there in July 2012. His cause of death is not known and is certainly not known how he may have gotten where his remains were found. July 14th, 1972. 
Star Valley Jane Doe was a woman whose remains were found in Nevada. A rancher found the victim's decomposed body in rural Elko County, a half mile west of Star Valley Road. The area is about eight miles south of I-80. The victim's body was nude and had been posed in a cross-like manner. She had been shot by a 22 caliber handgun in the neck and left cheek. A dark blue Volkswagen Beetle with Tennessee plates was seen in the area around July 7th. It was believed to be reported stolen from Tennessee, but was not recovered. Now here we are at our last story. The reason I put this story last is because it actually doesn't happen on I-80. Instead, it takes place nearly 300 miles south in Death Valley. Death Valley is its own monster as the hottest, driest, and lowest national park. Death Valley is a land of extremes. In July 2018, the hottest place on earth experienced its hottest month on record. The average temperature was 108.1 Fahrenheit or 42.3 Celsius to everyone outside of America, including overnight lows. Daytime highs reached a temperature of 127 degrees Fahrenheit or 52.8 Celsius for four days in a row. Weird things happen there. Did you know some of the rocks move on their own in a Death Valley? Hundreds of rocks that leave trails on the ground when they move. Some of the rocks, which weigh up to 700 pounds, have traveled over 1,500 feet for years. The source of their movement have remained a mystery. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want to convey to you the monster a person stranded would have to face. Let's get into this case of Ryan Singleton. Ryan Singleton wanted to be a star. When he was 21, he left his mother's Georgia home to pursue his dream of becoming a model in New York City. Things appeared to be going his way. He even landed a spot on the runway during New York's Fashion Week. After that, Ryan set his sights on Hollywood. He and some friends packed their stuff into a U-Haul truck and drove west to Los Angeles. They documented their journey along the way for a YouTube docuseries called Are We Famous Yet? After some time, Ryan left LA and moved back to New York. His mother said, I found out on social media Ryan had gotten married to a man twice his age. I don't even know who this is. I don't even have a clue as to what's going on. It was a total shock. That man, a celebrity stylist, Kyth Brewster. Keep that in mind. It's going to be very important later. Four months after marrying, the couple split and Ryan moved back to his mother's home in Georgia. His mother recalls an ominous conversation she had with her son after he moved back. 
Something bad is going to happen to me, isn't it, Mama? She asked her son if he owed someone some money, and he said no. And then he said, I've just done a lot of things to hurt a lot of people. His mother said she never found out exactly what Ryan was talking about. Two days later, Ryan abruptly left for Los Angeles again. This was the last time Iris saw her son alive. On the day Ryan went missing, his mother said he called her and asked her to send him $100 via Western Union to Nevada. Something odd happened after that. His mom said she also got a call from Ryan's estranged husband not long after she hung up. Told her that Ryan called him and it seemed like he had been drinking. She said he told her that Ryan's life could be in danger, and she informed him of where Ryan was going, even though Ryan told her not to tell anyone where he was. Now here's where things get even stranger. Singleton rented a car and drove from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. While driving back, the rental car broke down in Death Valley. Singleton was spotted by a California Highway Patrol walking down the highway. He was picked up and driven to a gas station in Baker, California. That gas station is the last place anyone would see Ryan alive. Ryan called a friend in Los Angeles to come pick him up. But when the friend arrived in Baker, Ryan was nowhere to be found. The friend returned to Los Angeles and filed a missing persons report. Now 74 days later, Ryan's body was found about two miles from that very gas station. And the scariest part, his organs were missing. Now disclaimer, the next part might be a little bit hard to listen to. The autopsy was conducted by the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Coroner Division in September 2013. According to the autopsy, two men were walking in the desert west of Baker, California on September 21, 2013. When they found what appeared to be human remains, they called 911. When the body was examined by Deputy Coroner on September 22, 2013, it was clothed in a black shirt, faded black high-top court shoes, black socks, and an orange rubber bracelet with Tri-Camp 2013 etched on the right wrist. No trauma was noted by the coroner, but he did note several bones appeared to have been removed from the body by animal activity. Most of the ribs on the left side had been moved away. The autopsy reports notes that when Singleton was last seen by the highway patrolman, he did not appear to be under any kind of influence of drugs or alcohol. The body weighed 50 pounds when examined by the coroner. It was nearly completely skeletonized. This report makes several references to missing flesh due to animal activity. The face appeared very dehydrated. The reports list a possible hemorrhage on the right side of the skull, 
The cause of death is listed as undetermined to advance decomposition. The manner of death is listed as undetermined. What happened to Ryan after he was dropped off at that gas station? A large part of that conversation centers around the mystery of Ryan's missing organs. Some have speculated that Ryan passed away in the desert and the organs may have been taken by animals. But other theories are more sinister. Some going so far as to suggest his organs were deliberately taken and sold on the black market. In a May 2007 interview with Eleven Alive, Iris Flowers, his mother, said she felt her son was taken for illegal organ trafficking. We may never know what truly happened to Ryan. Ironically, in death, Ryan has found some of the notoriety he sought when he was alive. That's all the time we have this week, and I truly hope you enjoyed our little trip through the desert. If you like the show, remember you can always rate it on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And if you want to keep up with us, you can always follow us on Instagram or Twitter. The URLs are in the show notes. Stay safe, stay sane, and make sure you don't stop on I-80.